formula to it. A very simple formula. Everybody's a suspect. Hi, I'm Nikki. And I'm Courtney. And this is Everybody's a Suspect. The podcast where we talk about horror movies. Specifically, slashers. Yes. And this week, what are we talking about? We are talking about Final Destination. Oh my gosh, this movie. I know that each of these movies had kind of an impact on how I looked at things. Definitely. <laughs> After seeing them. Um, what was your first impression or like first uh, encounter with this franchise? I think it was just seeing the first film when it came out, just like through the marketing and just being a teen in the year 2000. Um, <laughs> just you're just aware of it. And the, and the, the whole premise of like these these real world situations that can kill you um, or that potentially kill you uh, was just really relatable and kind of like a new idea at the time. And then, of course, with all the sequels, it's continued I think even if you haven't seen either Final Destination or any of the sequels, you at least are aware of what happens in these movies or you've seen some clip or some situation that was referenced that you can relate to. Right. Um, Mine was, I think I didn't even see the first one yet and I had seen the second one at a sleepover Mm. and... I still will not drive behind a logging truck. Anything with a trailer, I will not drive behind it. Same. Absolutely. You do not know what's going to happen. You don't know if it was hooked up right. You don't know. Yeah, I just cannot do it. Um, Yeah, thanks, Final Destination. Look what you did. You made safe driving in America. (laughs) I have a fear of everything now. Um, A fear of bridges, a fear of raceways, a fear of roller coasters, a fear of highways, and a fear of flying. Um, I still think the second one has the most memorable opening scene because of that highway scene. Right. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, One of those real-life situations you don't want to find yourself in. Oh, God, no. Uh, Have you seen that meme that's floating around Facebook that's like, not today, I've seen Final Destination, and it's just a picture of a logging truck? Yes. It's like, we know what you're trying to do. Not today, world. Not today, death. It's not happening. No. Yeah. Oh, gosh. And speaking of, like, oh, my God, everything outside right now is just insane. You know, like, Ah, it's nice to have films to take a break away from all the craziness of everything that's going on because it's just seeming to get worse before it gets better. Um, oh yeah, and it's not a it's a it's a very slow burn, so we, it's good to have the escapism of film. Right. Ah. Well, hello, Chandler. <laughs> he might make an appearance today, guys. He wants to cameo. Uh, well you know there were several there was there was it uh claire's dog the scene where claire saves her dog oh thank god the dog into the woods oh but yeah yeah i thank god the dog lives spoiler the dog lives (laughs) 
spoiler alert, he wasn't supposed to, according to the original ending. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he didn't show up. That's true. Yeah. Uh, I, so I guess we can sort of skip the real world talk because I think we're all kind of exhausted from it mm-hmm. and just get into this movie. All right. So a little bit of background on this movie. It was directed and written by James Wong, also written by Jeffrey Reddick and Glenn Morgan, who is married to the actress Kristen Cloak, who played Miss Luton. Nice. Um, it's also starring Devin Sawa, Tony Todd, a veteran of this podcast. Yes. Ali Larder, Kerr Smith, Sean William Scott, and Amanda Detmer. It opened March 17th, 2000. So we are just behind the 20th anniversary of this movie. It's insane. Vintage. It's officially a vintage film. I can't believe it came out 20 years ago. (laughs) Um, It had a budget of 23 million. And at the box office, it made 112.9 million. Um, I looked at the gross for all of the movies and it was like over 660 million which is insane which is why they had so many sequels yeah if i had to put them in order i'd say mine was probably two three five one and four i haven't really watched the the rest of the sequels and i tend to be I'm sort of biased against sequels because I feel like the more they make, the more you get away from, like, the original story and the original creators and stuff. Like, I know this was a huge franchise and it was really successful mm-hmm. and it's really relatable, but I just, um, I don't want people to mess with the original <laughs> films. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I know. But it does, it does circle around, yes. which, um, they do kind of, they you kind of bring it back to the original film. So I do like that. So if you're going to watch an entire, an entirely, well, I mean, it's a, it's a little bit of a spoiler, <laughs> but if you, if you are going to watch like an entire series, um, of like horror and not be completely disappointed, um, this if final destination would be the franchise. Yeah, Cause it definitely ties everything into each other. Like in the second one, they talk about flight 180 and what happens. And then the third one, it gets brought up again. And then in the fourth mm-hmm. one, I try not to remember what happens. Cause it's an, it is the <laughs> armpit of the franchise. And then, um, it's just so bad. And then, um, the fifth one is probably close to the best film. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's like my most enjoyable, but it's one of the best of the films. Um, it's just a good film overall. Um, but spoiler alert for people who haven't seen Final Destination 5, at the very end, the main character and his girlfriend are on Flight 180 to Paris. So in that movie, they never talk about Flight 180 because this is the prequel. It turns out to be a prequel to it. Mm-hmm. So, and th- I think they're the reason the plane explodes because death is taking theirs. And it just so happens that these people are a byproduct of that. And so we get final destination. Um, yeah. So I think we can't really talk about this film without talking about foreshadowing. I mean, if you're in a film class and you need to teach foreshadowing, hello, Mm -hmm. here's an entire franchise. This is the film. That lives yes. in foreshadowing. 
Um, yeah, it's one of those films you could just watch over and over and keep finding like little things that are foreshadowing in every scene and and in other movies. Yeah, as well. for sure. And we have to be really, um, there, you know, even though it's quite obvious at times, you still have to pay close attention to what's happening. Um, so one of the things that was kind of like a sign that this was an omen is when the travel agent hands Alex's ticket and says, oh, it's the same as your birthday. And he's like, what? Your departure time is the same as your birthday. So being like, right. oh, that's weird. Um, and then like George saying, it would take a really fucked up God to take down this plane. So I think we can kind of get into the first scene which is or the first big thing which is the plane alex's dream that the plane's about to explode um you know he switches seats there's the broken tray and if you watch during takeoff i kind of laughed because carter looks like he's about to puke himself (laughs) (laughs) yeah i was like not such a tough guy now exactly Um, and another thing too is like the night before uh, in Alex's room, the his alarm clock says one a.m. and then it the camera zooms in and it starts to flicker and it shows one eighty, which is we learn the next day is the flight number that he gets on. So it's like already foreshadowing that for the viewer. It just keeps going, and we get a couple more instances of foreshadowing of things that are just not gonna go well, and then boom, it's a dream. And Alex wakes up in a cold sweat. You know, he's freaking mm-hmm. out. And then seven people get off the plane. Carter, Terry, Billy, Miss Luton, Todd, Alex. Now am I forgetting somebody? Was it six or seven? Claire. Clear. Claire. Ugh. Yeah, because she, she's just like sitting there. And then she just decides to get up and get off also, the plane. Also, Clear Rivers. Really? Yeah. Really? It's not clear. It's clear. All right. Well, they kind of saved it by naming Sean William Scott Billy Hitchcock. True. True. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so they get off the plane. Like, Todd is trying to keep Alex calm and Carter's just going at him and they start fighting again. And then the plane explodes. But as it's as they're watching it take off, you know, there's the shot of Billy and you can see the plane taking off reflected in the glass. And mm-hmm. we'll get to why that's important in a little bit. Yeah. So. Um, that's a mirror yeah. reflecting. And then. The plane explodes glass shatters and everybody just stands around looking at him. And if you pay attention to um, everyone looking at him, it kind of foreshadows things that are going to happen to these characters. Um, The only one I think it doesn't really happen to is Carter. Just because of what happens to him later on in the movie. But we'll talk about that too. When we get to it, we're going to kind of go through them, but that he was just, but because he was the one, like, actually physically fighting with Alex, he was just staring at Alex on the floor like, oh my god, you 
like knew that was gonna happen whereas like yeah. like it's kind of like you said where every other character there was like a little bit of foreshadowing yeah. of how they were gonna die yeah and then they get interviewed by these fbi agents mm-hmm. and that's the moment todd realizes his brother was still on the plane and can we just say too like um the when like when when Todd got off the plane, he originally didn't get off the plane. His brother told him to get off the plane and check on Alex. Right. Which is obviously relevant later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Clear didn't have to get off, and she was just like, "Fuck it, I believe him. I'm going." Um, and she says, "Yeah, exactly. when she got interviewed, that she saw and heard Alex and believed him." And you know, she later on tells him, "You know, I felt what you were feeling." Um, but the end of the dream is at 1551 (laughs) takes about 16 minutes to get to the end of the dream and that's the same backwards yeah 1551 Ah. spooky everything in this movie is purposeful so i'm gonna take that um yeah but one thing about this dream versus the other movies is that you don't see the individual deaths occur in the other movies each character you get some screen time of what happens to each of them in the dream sequence mm-hmm. and then you know obviously they start dying one by one this one you only get a little bit here a little bit there but you you see just basically the explosion and then it holds on alex's face as he's burning and charring and then he wakes up mm-hmm yeah, he's Alex is kind of the one that has the plan, or they the kind of the movie kind of sets him up as being the one that's like all knowing because he had the vision about the plane blowing. Yeah, I wonder if that was a, a little bit more of an effective choice because you're you're kind of sitting there like, oh my god, what just happened? Instead of, oh, this happened to this person, 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 and you just get one like, holy fuck, what happened? Yeah. So we as the audience don't um or we have the information but the characters don't. Right. So yeah, they talk to the FBI agents and then, you know, they have mm-hmm. that memorial and then you get to Todd's house after the memorial. And this is yeah. our first death. Outside of the plane explosion. Mm-hmm. So, what did you think about the retracting water? That was really clever. Um, I thought so, too, because clearly it's... I mean, the, one of the great things about Final Destination is that the villain is death. It's not like a tangible person. And so in this film, especially in, like, Todd's death, it's almost like you're really seeing that for the first time. Whereas, like, when Alex has the vision and then they get off the plane and then the plane blows up, like, it's kind of like this, oh, my God moment. Like, how did you know that was going to happen? Whereas, like, when you see Todd's death, there's, like, clearly a force at work trying to make this happen. Right, but I feel like it's the only death in the entire franchise that does that. 
Well, they, I mean, yeah, because it's it's um, well, it's death covering its tracks, but it's like the first time that death is seen as its own entity instead of a series of unfortunate events. Exactly. Like they even have that one weird shadow moment in the mirror, kind of indicating mm. ooh spooky, but it's the only one that works that way. So I wonder if it was more effective that was just kind of like a series of unfortunate events and Rube Goldberg (laughs) puzzles that just kind Mm -hmm. of worked it or would have been better to keep on with that idea that death was an entity and coming after them. I think it was probably intentional just because it was the first death that we see. Um, So it, it like stands out more than the other ones and they kind of have to like express um, death or like the idea of your mortality based on death's design like they have to make it more obvious even though um, after Todd dies obviously everyone spoiler alert believes that it was a suicide because of his brother died on the plane right. um, which we obviously know isn't true right. so. and it's not an easy death oh my gosh yeah, and and also like I mean I know this is, movie came out in two thousand, but like, uh, they were like they had the clothes hanging up in the shower. Yeah, for sure. I mean, some people still need to do that, you know, especially like yeah. lingerie and intimates. You're not gonna put those in a dryer, but um, true. Most likely not gonna put them on a washer either. But fun fact, they do make bags for your bras to go in the washer. If you guys didn't know that already. Um, but yeah, this is a brutal death, you know, with the with yeah. him tripping, falling, and then the cord just wrapping around his neck and his eyes going bloodshot as he's reaching for the scissors. Oof. Oh yeah, that was you could just see the 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 fight yeah. in his face. And also like with the just even the water trickling out from like the pipes by the toilet, like I remember just being like really weirded out by the idea of like dying in your bathroom alone. Cause you're usually in your bathroom alone. Um, it was just like another one of those moments of like, Oh wait, something like this could actually happen to me. Right. I mean, I'm not going to put a clothesline in a bathtub. So I, I think I'm okay right now. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. For me, it was more like I always had like glass sliding doors and stuff. And so there was always this idea that you could like trip and like break the glass and die. <laughs> oh, no fun. Yeah. So, yeah, it was not yeah. fun. But um, but again, it's just that that's that was the brilliance kind of of the film is they gave you this idea of like, oh yeah, your toilet could like flood and electrocute you because there's water on the yeah. floor and then you'd be dead. And it was like, oh wait, that can really happen. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think it's funny because at the beginning of the movie, he asks Alec to go shit with him. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, okay. And then when they're in the bathroom, they hear that John Denver song, which I have a funny John Denver story. We'll get back to it in a moment. Um, and then Todd ends up dying in the bathroom. Yeah. Really ironic. Uh, Every horror films or most of them need a bathroom scene, though. Oh, that's true. I can think of like five or six right off the top of my head right now. <laughs> Um, but yeah. Okay. So my John Denver story, uh, one of my favorite podcasts, horror queers, they covered this last year 
Um, and they were talking about it. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go rewatch this movie. So I rewatched it. And, you know, I like listening to other podcasts and then rewatching movies because it gives me this new perspective on it, on things that I may not have noticed before. Um, sure. And then they were talking about the John Denver songs. So I got, it was like the day after I'd watched this movie, I got in my car and it's, I started it. And for some reason, sometimes my Bluetooth doesn't connect right away to my phone and it didn't. And the local country station came on my radio and they're like, the artist of the weekend is John Denver. And I was like, hell no. (laughs) I was like, I'm staying in this weekend. I'm not doing anything. (laughs) There's your foreshadowing. Oh God. I hope not. So Todd dies in the bathroom alone and very horribly. Yes. I have a thing about necks and like thing trauma that happens to necks. I don't like it. So that scene always makes me go. Oh. Yeah. Strangulation is not my favorite type of death to watch on screen. Or like throat cutting or uh, anything like that. Yeah. I'm shuddering just thinking about it. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. So Todd dies. And then, you know, Clear and Alex are talking at the coffee shop, talking about everything. She's not sure she believes him. And then Carter, of course, sees him and goes into full Carter rage mode, which, I mean, I get that teenage boys have, like, a lot of hormones, but dear God, this guy is angry at everyone and everything. He definitely has that, like, bully persona, and he's, like, he when he says to Alex, like, like I'm in control of my own death, like... You don't, you don't get a say when I die. Like, he's just, I think he's, he's like really freaked out by what happened, but he's still trying to put on that like macho, I'm better kind of like jock vibe. Right. And poor Billy, he almost runs over him. <laughs> I know. That was like the, that was kind of the, uh, like the red herring of like when Carter like turns the car around and then Billy falls into the street on his bike and almost dies. And we're like, oh, it's Billy. Yeah. Even though like, clearly he's okay and then and then shows up with the rest of the group so that's not his death but then we see the um uh alex sees the reflection of the bus in the window next to the cafe and you hear the music cue which you also hear at the beginning when he's uh getting his ticket for the flight and the woman's like oh your boarding time's the same time as your birthday and you hear the music and then he's looking at the flights and all the panels are flipping so that was like Again, the foreshadowing of, like, obviously something is going to happen with the bus. Right. And, um, you know, and as Carter and Terry are driving by, he's kissing her hand. And the camera kind of, as that music cue goes on, focuses on Terry. And they turn around. They Carter and Alex start getting into it. And Terry's, like, stop it, both of you. And gets super pissed off. And... She goes, if you're just going to fight with him the whole time, then you can just drop fucking dead. And then she gets obliterated. Bam. <laughs> she gets obliterated by a bus. And suddenly there's a bus. Mean girl style. Yeah. Well, I like, I like the camera shot because you can't tell if she's on the street yet or not. Mm-hmm. Um, you can only see that she's like walking away, but you can't tell that she's actually in the middle of the street. And then yeah. she gets obliterated by the bus. And... <laughs> 
And also, like, one second before when you were talking about, like, the camera being on Terry and Carter in the car, mm-hmm. you hear the song lyric that says, Final Destination. Right. And the camera's on Terry's face. And so, like, looking back, that's the moment when you're like, oh, wait, Terry's next. Because they haven't really gone into the death design yet. Right. And um, so she gets hit by the bus. Which is an yeah. understatement. It's not Regina George. She just gets full on obliterated. Yeah. Um, Blood on everybody's face. Yep. Uh, and then, uh, so if you weren't paying attention when the plane explodes and they're all in the airport at the gate, if you look when Terry's looking at Alex in shock, there's a picture of a bus behind her. Mm-hmm. So there's that foreshadowing coming into play. Dun, dun, dun! So we get Terry's death, and then Alex mm-hmm. is watching a news report and finds out the pattern of the explosion and finds out, figures out, that death has a design. And this is why he's been able to see these signs and, because he can figure out who's going to be next in the pattern. Yeah, he traces um, the path of the explosion through the plane and also traces where everybody that got off the plane was sitting. Yeah. So that's how he kind of, like, figures out how to cheat death based on, like, who's going to die next. Right. And, oh, my God, we didn't even talk about Tony Todd. Speaking of death. Yeah. Well, there's there's two things there because um, also right after um, Todd's death, and Alex goes to the house and like the FBI and Todd's parents, nobody sees him. And obviously that's suspicious because he's shown up just when uh, like someone else has died, when they already, the FBI at least already suspect, suspect that Alex knows more about the plane blowing up. Um, Cause he's supposed to be like the suspect, the main suspect. Cause he had the vision of the plane blowing up. Right. But they don't see clear. Cause she's like hiding um so everybody's like why why how did alex know todd was gonna be dead like how did he know to show up so so it's adding on to that paranoia of like everybody thinking that alex really has something to do with it which becomes important later but yes tony todd yeah um so clear takes alex to see tony todd and who's the mortician well actually she took him to the morgue to go see todd but then Mm -hmm. the mortician ends up being tony todd (laughs) That's not confusing. Um, And he comes out of this, like, cave. Like, what kind of mortuary is that? Yeah, he's definitely, like, messing with them. Because, I mean, I know they broke in, but he's definitely like, I'm going to scare the bejesus out of these kids because I'm the mortician and I can be super creepy. Right. Have you ever heard the theory that that Tony Todd's character, was it Dr. Bloodworth? Which, really? Yes. Um, yeah, Dr. Bloodworth. Well, that Bloodworth might actually be death? Is that something you would subscribe to? Yeah, I kind of got that idea. Because he also, he's the one that kind of explains to Alex and Clear, like, death has a design and you've cheated it. So he's kind of explaining, like, how death works when he's supposed to be this like person that's surrounded by death all day. So it's like a really good metaphor for death. Yeah. I don't know. I, you know, I could go a couple ways with it. Either he is, 
or he just is like the messenger for death. Like he's kind of like the the deliverer of the bodies. Like who's the sure. the river sticks, you know, the guy that drives the boat to Hades in Greek mythology. Oh, um why can I not think of this? <laughs> I swear I'm smart. <laughs> I know. We need to watch um Hercules again. Oh, yes, we do. Um, yeah, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but I know exactly what you're talking about. I really need to know what this is. Uh, this is going to bug me now. All right. I bet people are screaming at home what it is. So uh, if you figure it out, just let us know. Sorry. Um, but yeah, so he kind of tells them that Alex figures out that there's a design and then he figures out that Miss Luton is next. So he goes to her house and she sees him and gets freaked out and calls the FBI agents. And then he's taken away for question for mm-hmm. more questioning. Again, making it suspicious because why did he go to Miss Luton's house? Right. Um, if you're a suspect, probably a good idea to not be around people <laughs> and do suspicious things. Um, but so she's making tea, puts hot tea in the coffee cup and then basically says, fuck it. And then puts ice and vodka in the coffee cup. So it's, <laughs> yes. So it cracks and starts leaking vodka everywhere. Just- and first thing about that, I noticed the actual crack that happens is very similar to the cut that is made by the glass. Really? I've never noticed yeah. that. Interesting. I did. I was, I was, I rewatched it and I went, wait a minute, that looks very familiar. And then of course, like 30 seconds later, I went, oh, <laughs> so yeah, I think that's like an, another added little bit of foreshadowing. Huh. Things you learn every time you watch this movie. That's the fun of film. Alex is talking to them and she's current, like, you know, at home trying to pack up to move and then the computer explodes. <laughs> and then the lovely glass shards pierce her neck. Also, just an FYI, I know everybody has a different reaction, but if you or someone else is impaled by something, do not remove said object. <laughs> yeah, that should be common sense. At this point, especially. I mean, this movie is 20 years old, but yes, do not remove it. That will always make it worse. Your chances of survival are much better if you just leave it. Of course, also, she had like a whole modem uh, PC monitor, which now computers are much smaller. So dying that way is much less possible. Right. (laughs) Um, But another thing I noticed um, after she gets hit by the glass and she stumbles back into the wall, there's a stained glass image on the wall of a sword or at least like a large knife um behind her oh yeah yeah you can see it really good uh really well when alex runs into the house yeah yeah and obviously after once she once miss luton is like stumbling through the house and she ends up on the floor what goes into her chest but a knife well so the fire gets towards the vodka bottle and then the yes. you hear the vodka bottle go and then it explodes and then she gets knocked down 
and she tries grabbing this dish towel to help Mm -hmm. like stop her wound and then she pulls down a butcher block on top of her and there goes a butcher knife right into the middle of her chest and she's been impaled yeah and And also at the yeah at the same time, because the scene, like, cuts in and out to Alex, who's just, like, walking around, and he passes this guy that is, like, starting a fire, and he sees the fire, like, blaze, and some of the, like, embers go into the sky, and that's when, like, he gets sort of the, like, music cue again, and he just starts running towards Miss Luton's house. Yeah, and then he runs into the house, again, if you're a suspect, not mm-hmm. a great idea. And then he tries to help her, but then something explodes. So he tries to like keep her from hitting something, but then it explodes. And then a chair falls on her and on the knife, which impales her and kills her. And then he pulls the knife out. (laughs) Yeah. And his footprints are in her blood. Yeah. So, hands on the knife, fingerprints in the blood. Boy just totally implicated himself in what looks like her murder, even though the house burns down. So, yeah, he was not doing himself any favors in terms of, like, not being the suspect. Well, and then he sprints out of the house, and of course, wrong place, wrong time, Billy Hitchcock is riding his bike by, and he tackles Billy, and the house explodes. And so that doesn't look good either. Yeah. And, you know, now he's on the run from the FBI because they suspect him. I mean, obviously they're going to suspect him, as they should. Um, and I think this is the only film where you get, like, a an investigative agency involved and death is kind of pinning the murders on somebody. Yeah. But... I I don't think it's a big deal in this film. Like, they exist to keep Alex away at times. But, I don't know. It just seems like they could have done other things to do that. But, um... One thing I do like is... Because they they show the um, the FBI agent sitting outside Clear's house. And you see the shot of them, like, sitting in the car looking at the house. And then you see her walk around the side of the car and just tell them that she's not going to turn Alex in. And you can see the FBI agents who clearly are, like, staking out the house, not wanting her to know that they are there, looking at each other like she just walked up to the car and we didn't even notice. (laughs) (laughs) I just love that little bit. It was great. The little, like, look they give, like, we just worked or horrible at this. (laughs) Yeah. Um... So I think what happens next is she calls a meeting with Carter and Billy and they Mm -hmm. go find Alex and she goes and talks to him on the beach. So at this point, you know, she's telling him the life story, the story about her dad getting killed. um, And then there's a scene that was cut and it's of her and Alex having sex on the beach. Mm hmm. Which comes into play with the alternate ending and an additional scene where she takes a pregnancy test and she's supposedly pregnant before her big um, scene at the end with all the wires. But I don't I don't know if it would have worked. We can talk more about that when we get to the ending and which mm-hmm. ending probably worked better. But yeah. So... 
blah, blah, blah. They're talking. She gets him to come back with them. They're driving. And Carter and Billy are like, who's next? Who's next? Who's next? And Alex isn't telling them. So Carter's like, fuck it. Speeds off. Ends up, like, pausing on these train tracks. Well, I do like, when they're in the car, I do like how Billy is, like, convinced that uh, Alex, like, has all the answers. And he's, like, um, asking him things. Like, at one point... uh, I don't, I don't necessarily think it's in that scene, but he's, like, asking Alex if, like, he asked a girl out, will she say yes? Oh, yeah, at like, the memorial. <laughs> and Alex is yeah, like... Yeah, at the memorial. <laughs> yeah, and Alex is just like, no. <laughs> um, he's like, yeah, okay. Um, but but then, like, in, but in a contrast to that, Carter's, like, completely in disbelief. But then when the three, when the four of them are in the car before they get to the train tra- tracks, and Carter asks Alex, like, do you know which one of us is next? And that's when... Um, Alex is like, yes, I do. Like, I knew Miss Luton was going to die. So that's when, like, Carter's, he, he has that moment of, like, no, like, I'm in control of my destiny, which is, which is what I think he does at the train tracks, where he's, like, and when he stops the car on the train tracks, he's just like, no, it's not Alex's, like, choice what happens to me. I'm going to prove that I'm in control of my right. destiny. Um, and can we just talk for a second, though, about how endearing Shad William Scott is in this movie? <sighs> Like yes. he's Good a, casting. such an adorable goof, and it's ni- a nice contrast from Stifler because Stifler is not <laughs> not a good person in American Pie, and he's no. he's a total dick. Um, and then you get Billy, who is basically Stifler but nice, very endearing. Yeah, yeah, not a jerk. Yeah, I like Sean William Scott. I wish he was in more. I think he does a really good job in this movie. Um, and then, speaking of, so they are stopped on the train tracks. Carter, you know, Billy finally opens the door. They all get out mm-hmm. except for Carter. Carter realizes it's not my turn to die. Oh shit. And Alex has to go in and save him, and he intervenes in Carter's death. So Carter does not die, he is saved by Alex. Mm-hmm. And Billy, the last second, Billy is freaking out. Um, after the car gets completely destroyed by the train, and freaking out, freaking out, and then there's this shot of a shrapnel, and we see it a few times before it happens, and then a chain hits the shrapnel and cuts Billy. Not, it doesn't de- just decapitate him; it cuts him straight through the face. Yeah, like midway through the face. And so when I was talking about the plane taking off earlier, if you watch the trajectory of the plane taking off on Billy's reflection, the plane takes off on the same trajectory as the cut on his, like the slice of his head. So when his head gets sliced off, that's the exact same line that goes through his face. Dun, dun, dun. Foreshadowing. Filmmaking. It's great. And just a side note about train tracks. Did seeing this scene change your opinion about train tracks? Or like driving on train tracks or near train tracks? Kind of a little bit. Was that a thing for you? Um, More so one thing, you know, kind of like a PSA. Um, 
you're not supposed to film or photograph on train tracks. So it's something that really bothers me when I see other Mm -hmm. photographers do that. Um, Because one, it's illegal. And two, it's super dangerous. Even if they're dead tracks, um, which means they don't run anymore, it could still Mm -hmm. lead to other people following suit and not realizing that you're shooting on dead tracks. Um, And dead tracks can still be illegal. Um, And then... You know, we I've seen stories of either photographers or clients getting killed because trains are much faster than you think. They, you know, they come yeah. out of nowhere, kind of like that busted to Terry. Mm-hmm. And so it's super dangerous. So um, just train tracks are always something that I've been kind of been trying to be wary of anyway. But yeah, driving on them, I make sure if I hear a train coming and I see the gates going down, I'm not screwing with that. Yeah. It wasn't really a, like a thing for me growing up. Like Virginia does have like a lot of dead tracks, but also um, you don't necessarily know that they're dead tracks. Like sometimes they could maybe be used to transport something like maybe in uh like an emergency situation or you just, you don't know. Like right. you just, like, you just don't know. You know, here we have tornadoes. What if tornadoes ripped out one track and then they had to use one that wasn't used? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I yeah. don't know trains. I'm not a train person. There's some, there's like one set of tracks that's near my house. That's like, in, it's in a super populated area. And it's like, there's no, there's, there's like a small little back road that goes over some train tracks. And there are, ne- there are not even any like, gates or anything like that's how we know that like no one is using that track it's overgrown it's not working like that's like the only one I can think of where like it's clearly not being used I'm sure they've ripped out big sections of it but there's just like one section of it that they kind of can't just the way that they like built the whole um like general area because it's by the interstate um but yeah it's just just stay away just just stay away yeah and you know, obviously, if you're making a film or doing a shoe or anything, mm-hmm. just use your head. Um, use your common sense. Between you and a train, most of the time, you're not going to win. So, so please just it, be careful. It did actually happen, too. It happened a couple of years ago. Someone died mm-hmm. um, filming in Georgia because the production, like, assumed that it was a dead track. And this woman tried to like rush back because they left a, they had like a bed an entire like bed sitting on the tracks to shoot some scene and a bunch of people they like rushed back to try to get out of the way when the train came and she ended up like getting killed from the like the impact of the train hitting the bed and then like stuff hitting her and it was like Oof. this huge lawsuit so just don't do it yeah and do you it. know there are lots of stories from rail world railroad workers about deaths Mm -hmm. on the tracks and it's just it's so sad um so just be careful all right enough of this tangent yeah uh back to the movie so billy gets his head half sliced off poor sean william scott um and then carter's finally a believer (laughs) and then Clear and Alex run off, and Alex holds up in this weird look, like little cabin thing. Mm-hmm. Trying to trying to cheat death, and I do like that he's he kind of like confronts death almost. Yeah, like he's saying like, "Oh, you think you got me?" Like he he's taping all the dangerous stuff, and he finds like Tetanus. a rusty <laughs> fish hook. 
Yeah, and he's like, tetanus, ah, he's like, you didn't get me, not today, you fuck, like, he's like challenging death, like, I figured it out, you're not gonna, I'm not gonna die today, and he starts getting kind of, like, paranoid about it, and then he has the revelation about, um, whether or not he is actually next. Well, I also had a thought, because, you know, technically clear was next. Mm Mm-hmm. And not Alex. Yeah. And if you notice a few times throughout the movie, there are lightning bolts that keep flashing onto Alex. And he kind of is afraid of them. And then Mm -hmm. there's that one that hits right outside his house. And then at the, you know, when he goes to rescue Clear, she's in the car. It catches on fire. He decides to take this wild electrical... Um, electrical cable into his hands and I think that was meant for him not her the fire might have been for her but I think the electrical cable was meant for him because of the lightning flashes yeah because also she she survives that because like the um the the pool like the kiddie pool or whatever in the yard gets like overrun and there's like the electrical cable and she's 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 thinking like electrocution so she jumps up onto the side of the house and is like holding onto the trellis so she's not doesn't get electrocuted because her feet were in the water and she's like telling her dog to run away and that's like that's not how she dies she gets back she managed to get back into the house and avoid getting electrocuted and then has to like ends up getting back down to like the garage and ends up in the car but i think you're i think you're right about that yeah, I, it's just, it never occurred to me until this watch because I just noticed that the lightning flashes w- were only on Alex ever. Mm-hmm. And then the electrical outlet. And then knowing that in the alternate ending, he was supposed to fry. Like, he wasn't supposed to come back. There was not going to be that coda. It was going to be him dying and then Clear being pregnant. And that's why she survived. Yeah, because that was his original ending because they filmed it and then they went back because the studio was like, we could make this a sequel and make a bunch of money. So originally, I think just the way they the story was written and filmed, you're right that like the, the being electrocuted was meant to be the way that Alex dies. Yeah, and I don't know if I kind of wished that he would have died. I like the coda, but... I don't know. I think there should there could have been a combo, but I definitely think Clear being pregnant would have kind of taken away from everything going on. But, you know, at least keeping in the sex scene with them, because then you're like, oh, that's why he's saying I'll always be with you and why she's calling him baby. Yeah, because like it's all of a sudden like what? They're together. When you, know she's, when you know she's pregnant in the alternate ending, when when he says the line, when she's in the car, clearly trapped, and he can't get her out, and and Alex is like, "I will always be with you." When you know that's the ending, it makes so much more sense because she's like, you know that she's pregnant. Whereas right. in in the actual film, it's it's just kind of out of place because you're like, there's never really indica- any indication in the final cut of the film that they like have sex or that they're together. And he's kind of just like, I'll always be with you. And it's just like, what? Yeah. Cause you don't get any affection really from them before that. It's just like, Oh baby. Oh, I'll always be with you. <laughs> and you're just yeah. like, 
okay, when the fuck did that happen? Because <laughs> it's like hinted at, but then she like tells Alex that she doesn't believe him. And so there's like this tension and then suddenly he almost dies and she's like, no, baby. So that wasn't the best, uh, the best like way to edit that together. Which, but whatever. I mean, they could have done because they had Carter and Terry like all over each other all the time. Like when they're in the car driving by the cafe, Carter is literally kissing Terry's hand. So it's not like they weren't capable of expressing that. It just wasn't done in a great way. And I don't think going from one time sex to pregnancy would have been a good idea. And also was feasibility on the time line of that. I don't. Yeah. Cause they, they, well, it's it's supposed to be a teen movie. Like it's clearly marketed to teens, but they don't say they don't really, the timeline is, isn't clear. Like even the memorial, it's like more than a month after the flight. So there's already been like a passage of time. Yeah. When like death starts to kill them. And then even though in the alternate ending, they like show her like throw the pregnancy test in the trash. Like they never really explain how much time has passed. And, and then the next scene is just like her giving birth. And you're like, well, clearly it's must, it's been like enough time for her to give birth. But right. yeah, the, the, the timeline of events in this film is, is vague at best. Right. Oh gosh. I'm actually kind of pleased with how they did that. Um, so death's design, is this something you could buy for real? Like, does is there a, a grand plan for everybody when there's such a disaster? Or is it just that a disaster that's just happenstance? Well, one of the things I liked about this film was that it explored that idea. Because I think this was, um, I mean, unless you like grow up with, religion um it's kind of it was kind of the first like horror film to be like oh there's there could actually be like a pattern to your death and like this this guy has figured it out and he's trying to stop it and you can stop it and then it just jumps to the next person like there's there's a set Mm -hmm. way that people die and so I like that the film explored that idea in general because it could be like the first time you get exposed to that sort of idea. Yeah, for sure. And I think it does a decent job of following that. And then um, the subsequent movies do a great job of kind of twisting that narrative um, into this is a, a possibility with it. This is a possibility with it. This mm-hmm. is a possibility. It's really hard just these- to talk about one of these films because this entire franchise, again, is so connected to each other. Yeah, there's like all these avenues for it's like you make one little change and suddenly there's like millions of different ways that choices can go. Like making one little alteration completely messes with like the time continuum and you've changed fate forever. Right. And, you know, like, if you intervene, it goes back to somebody else. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of what happens in this new coda, in this new ending, where they're Mm -hmm. in Paris. And I can't remember what Allie Larder was in at the time. It might have been she was filming Legally Blonde, because all of a sudden, Clear's blonde in the end. And And it's been six months, so you never know. I mean, I change my hair all the time. I just cut my bangs. <laughs> can I can I point out though that like 
they it's, it shows they that that six months later they fly to Paris, which is obviously the city that they were supposed to fly to originally, mm-hmm. the city that they were never meant to get to, right? Because they got off the plane, so they so they end up in Paris. So I thought that was um uh, a good way to bring things back around. Oh, for sure. As as a way to show that like oh they've beaten death because they the three of them lived and made it to Paris. Right, so you're thinking, oh, this is all good. This is really cool. We get to see that. But as horror fans, we also know a coda means, oh, shit. <laughs> What's going to happen? Da-da-da-da. Um, and so they're sitting around talking, and then a street musician starts in on a French cover of John Denver. <laughs> Cue Alex's spidey senses going off. Off the charts. He was freaking out again. And, you know, he had a right to. He almost got hit by a bus. Hello, bus. (laughs) Again. And again, like, that was nice, too, because um, if you notice in the scene, Clear is the one who sees uh, the reflection of the bus. Mm -hmm. And then she's like, Alex! And she screams, and that's what makes him turn. And if she doesn't do that, then Alex dies. So she's the one that prevents his death. Yeah, and then, so she, te- she, well, Carter technically intervened on his death, but. Yeah, she tackles him. Yeah, but then Carter stands up, and this, because of the chain reaction, again, Rube Goldberg at play, the chain reaction when the bus hit the pole and everything kind of went, there was a sign of a, I think it was like a theater or something close by mm-hmm. that said. Yeah. Like, something, something, 081. So it swung down, and you see it swing up, and then when it swings back down, it's flipped, and it says, the backside of it says 180 as it's about to hit Carter. Which is the flight number of their original flight to Paris. What? Who'd have thought? (laughs) Mind blown. Now, I mean, that's just really great and detailed filmmaking. It is. It, it, again, I am going to probably say this every single episode, but horror is so underrated. <laughs> well, it's great, too, when you have films that um, that you love or that you can watch again and again and, like, pull things from. Like, even when we're sitting here talking and we've, we've watched the film, we've taken notes, but we're still like, wait, what about this? Like, it really creates this conversation. Um, and that it's just one of the nice things about cinema in general. Oh, for sure. I just think that this movie needs to be revisited a little bit more often. You know, I think right now it's a little tough to revisit a movie like this because it's about, you know, natural disasters and, or um, real world disasters and people dying at a bigger scale than just one at a time necessarily, because, you know, there's all these instances that happen right at the beginning of these movies. Um, Okay. Well, before we go into that, I have one more question that I just thought of because yeah. when we're talking about, you're talking about like uh, how uh, like when, Car- when Carter uh, tackles Alex from, so the sign doesn't hit him and mm-hmm. he's like, uh, it skipped me. And then Carter's like, then who's next? And then the sign hits him and he clearly dies um, and seen. But do you think it's possible that they beat death, but then because they went to Paris, they like reignited 
this this the mm. like death design because they went to the city that they were never supposed to make it to. That is a really good question. You know, I could buy that because it's six months later. Mm-hmm. Death could take them any time, and if he if death really wanted them, death could have them. Yeah, because like it left him alone for six months. Yeah. And, you know, for them to be in a place... Yeah, I could definitely buy that because it's like a chain reaction triggering, you know, these mm-hmm. people weren't supposed to be here. So this this triggered this. I, I really love that question, especially when you think about in the second film, one of the guys that's in the second film said, um, I was supposed to be in this theater that burned down, but then... I saw this guy get hit by a sign in Paris. Mm, yeah. So that is a really good posit. Like, good on you. Really good. Yeah, because because then it ignited like that guy saying, "Oh, Carter's death affected him, so it altered his future." Ah! Because that's the whole second one is that they all were connected to Flight One Eighty somehow, mm-hmm. and it's that mm-hmm. chain reaction. Oh my god! Look at us breaking it down. So if those motherfuckers hadn't gone to Paris, we wouldn't have had like three other films because, again, the fifth one is a prequel. Seriously, guys, you just had to go to Paris. Ugh. I say that as I'm trying to go to Paris next year. <laughs> well, yeah. I am not watching this movie in the next year. Sorry, guys. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. I still can't get over that question. That was a really good one. <laughs> oh, gosh. But, you know, not to bring it back down, but this is kind of a real world disaster. And any of us who grew up with yeah. this film know exactly what we're talking about. Like, these situations that are at the beginning of this of each of these films happen. And they have happened. Um, you know, most notably probably is 9-11, which came out, mm-hmm. which happened a year and a half after this movie came out. Which is, yeah. I mean, how has that, how have these movies kind of affected the way you approach real world disasters or react to them? Or um, like when you're in those kind of situations, like riding in an airplane, driving on the highway, yada yada. Well, it's interesting because the whole reason why this film was made was because um, the writers had heard about a similar situation where, like, a woman wouldn't get on an airplane because she had, like, a a weird vision. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to explore that idea. And then, of course, like you said, this came out right before 9-11. And then, obviously, 9-11 happened. And... Um, I mean, there was no premonition about that happening, obviously, but um, it was this horrific event uh, that we lived through and that we remember, and we remember life, what life was like before that, and we remember what life is like after that. And to be honest, uh, I, I didn't watch this movie for a long time because it has the plane blowing up in the beginning. Um, and it's so un- it was so uncomfortable. I get that. I get that. Yeah. And it, it did actually happen. There were people that um, that were like supposed to be on, I know at least one situation where like there was uh, someone who was supposed to be on one of the planes and he like overslept and missed the flight. And that's the only reason he's alive today. 
she's so it's just yeah it's just um I mean again it's like the the whole point of these films is it explores these ideas that could actually happen like a random plane could blow up like there was a plane that disappeared in the middle of the ocean a couple years ago and we still don't know what oh happened my God, to it yeah. like yeah I mean it's just like it, it really makes you think I mean it's it's it goes back to the thing we were both talking about about not driving behind like logging trucks like something like that could happen there's you see things online about like trucks losing their like loads off the off off on the interstate and there's suddenly you know thousands of you know whatever they were carrying strewn everywhere you just you don't you don't know what kind of situation you could find yourself in and that these films do a really good job of taking these like everyday situations and turning it into this like um this like oh here's how this can happen and it results in like the death of at least one person yeah but um it can also happen to you one day maybe oh yeah oh it's like it's not good if you have anxiety (laughs) no uh me and turbulence not friends (laughs) i'm just like oh god final destination oh god oh god oh god and i don't ride roller coasters so i'm safe there (laughs) Yeah, I, I never, um, it, I mean, I, I, I traveled on airplanes a lot since I was a kid, so yeah. this movie never, like, affected my ability to fly, but as I've gotten older, I've noticed, like, I'm less willing to, like, ride roller coasters and just, just because I don't like the feeling of it, but I still have trouble with, like, driving behind trailers and stuff. Yeah, I think that's the worst one for me. I don't go to races, so I'm fine there. <laughs> I try not to go across bridges if I don't have to, so I'm fine there. Um, (laughs) And I've ridden on airplanes plenty of times, but yeah, the highway one is still the one that I'm like, nope, nope, nope. (laughs) Even if you haven't seen this movie, you have seen this scene, or at least a photograph of this scene. (laughs) Right. Which film do you think has the most memorable opening scene? I mean, probably for me, it's the original just because at the time it was just such a like shocking concept to me that like, um, oh, this guy like has a vision of a plane blowing up and then the plane actually blows up. And then, of course, a year and a half later, um, 9-11 happens. And then that was like an oh, my God, what the hell? The world is never going to be the same situation. yeah. So for me, I always just remember the first one because it, it just sticks in my mind as being like, I'd never seen anything like it in cinema. And the other films have good scenes, but that just that sticks in my mind is like when I think of like memorable scenes, I think of the shot of like the plane blowing up and like Alex's face when he realizes yeah. that he was right. And everyone else is like staring at him in shock. That's like what I think of. What about you? Uh, the second one. I think it goes back to which movie did you watch first? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, again, the first one that I saw of the Final Destination series was the second one. So that (laughs) scene always got me, especially because of, you know, I have a love for classic rock. So seeing ACDC used in that way, which is like, oh, God. Um, So because you saw the second one first, did that like change how you like saw when you saw the original Final Destination? Like, did you have more of an idea of what was going to go down? Not really, because they don't give a whole lot away in the second one. 
Um, I mean, they talk about everybody's deaths and how they were connected to them, but I'm a person that's more about the journey than the end. Mm -hmm. So still being able to see what happens didn't, the second one did not affect my perspective of the first one. Um, I went in and was like, okay, I know what happens in the second one. Well, how do these connections make sense? So it was more like connecting the dots than, oh, this is boring because I already know what happened or anything like that. It was easier to understand the connection and it gave the movies a lot more meaning. Okay. Yeah. Um, I really enjoy these movies overall. They're, you know, like like you said, when things happen like 9-11, these movies can be really hard to swallow because of the fact that they do have those real world implications. Um, you know, like we've had issues. Um, like I wouldn't be surprised if they came out with one someday that was about a concert stage collapsing because, you know, we just had that happen at the State mm-hmm. Fair a few years ago. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it, it really makes you think like, okay, these can actually happen and you know, there's nothing you, much you can do about it unless you get a premonition and then good luck. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. So do you think this movie holds up pretty well 20 years later? Definitely. I mean, I think, um, I mean, watching it back, obviously, like, they don't have smartphones and, like, all the TVs and computers are huge and stuff. But, um, like, the general story overall, I think, in a way, is timeless because, like, we still use planes, obviously. Mm -hmm. And, um, like, people still drive cars and there's still train tracks. And even in other films, like, there's still vlogging trucks. And um, these are still real-world situations that can happen to people. So I think it's completely um, relevant even now, like the whole idea that, uh, like, is your death preventable? Um, right. Does it skip you and come back around? Like, I think it's really a timeless concept. So you could watch this movie the year it came out. You could watch it now. You could watch it in 20 years and it would still be relevant. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, technology doesn't play a whole big part in it. I mean, now we have cell phones, but I mean, I like the fact that we don't have that distraction and it kind of adds to the suspense because they can't get a hold of each other instantly, you know, with the signs yeah. and everything like the the um, paper going through the fan and it coming back around and the and the little scraps as taught on it, everything like that. So I don't mind that it's not up to date on the technology because we get we just focus on the characters entirely. Exactly. Yeah. So, I think it's time for final thoughts. What are your final thoughts on Final Destination? My final thoughts on Final Destination are, this is a great movie if you love, well, film in general, but if you just love watching a film and and seeing going through every scene and like finding new ideas, new little moments, new things to discuss. Like if you want to talk about film, talk about horror, talk about um, 
like continuing stories. This is Final Destination as a film and as a series. It's just a great place to start. And it's also kind of a staple because um, if you love horror, Final Destination, it's again, it's it's that first film that explores like, hey, here's these real life situations that everybody's in. And oh, yeah, they can really kill you. (laughs) So it's not, you know, somebody coming after you with a machete or someone showing up in your dream and trying to kill you. Like, it's a real life situation. Like, death is an entity. It's not like this physical embodiment of anything. So it's, it's, it's kind of, I would say it's a film that I think anybody that loves horror should watch. Mm -hmm. Um, It's definitely um, unique. So I would recommend Final Destination to anyone. Yeah, for sure. I feel the same way. I enjoy these movies more than I think I did when I was younger because I understand the, um, the point behind them, the kind of the depth they go. Um, You know, there are some things that work a little bit better than others. Like, do I think Carter has to be so angry all the time? Not really. But, um, you know, there's other issues that may be going on with him um, that we don't know about. And, Mm -hmm. but overall, this story, this concept, it really works. And it's a pretty well done film, especially, again, with the depth it goes to, to express the, it's basically a film about foreshadowing. (laughs) Like. Like I said, yes. if you are in a film class or teaching a film class and you want to talk about foreshadowing, this is the film to show your students <laughs> because, I mean, this takes it to the next level. Um, yeah, it's a master class in foreshadowing. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, you have everything in the background, the, the clock, the, um, the lightning. I mean, so much going on that isn't super obvious. And... It just, it does it really well. So I would definitely recommend people revisit this film and revisit the entire series, especially if they haven't seen five, just to see how everything gets tied back. Now, if you want to skip four, I don't blame you. (laughs) It's not great. Um, I (laughs) didn't really have a connection to the characters like I do in the others. Um, there were no deaths that were really like, oh my god, or um, really interesting to me. I guess, I don't know, just to me personally. But yeah, I would recommend Final Destination. So, I guess that is a wrap on Final Destination. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. So, Courtney, what have we decided to cover next week next week we are watching tucker and dale versus evil oh hell yeah i love this movie i love alan tudyk i am so excited to talk about it if you have not seen this movie you need to watch it do not judge it by its name (laughs) by its by its trailer by its movie poster just watch it because you are not ready yeah So to prep you a little bit, it is a horror comedy. And what better time to cover a horror comedy than when April Fool's Day! We're going to be releasing this, I think, the day, like a couple days later. So we're going to 
lighten it up a little bit because, you know, everything's a little bit serious right now. We're getting overloaded with like horrible stuff and horrible news. So we just want to bring a little bit of humor to you guys. So do yourselves a favor. And before next Friday, watch Tucker and Dale versus evil. Cause that's what we will yes. be doing. And I'm so excited. I love this movie do so it. much. Do it. Watch it. You need to watch it. It's amazing. All right. We'll catch you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Bye.